We are in part five of our Discovering the Supernatural series, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I entitled today's message, Understanding Church. And I'm going to give you the fill in the blank here in a moment. If you're watching online, you can fire up the app and kind of follow along with us, taking notes and maybe doing the fill in the blank with us. But I I have a concept I want to drop on you. I've shared it before. Do you realize that paid Christianity, church jobs, are an anomaly? Do you understand that they are a necessary but strange phenomenon? The very idea that someone would be a professional Christian is just weird, right? Like, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, you being nice to me because you get a paycheck? Or you being nice to me because, like, that's legit, right? It creates all kinds of weird mixed motives and stuff like that. The very idea that I am on a staff of a church, that I'm a pastor, it's my full-time job. To me, that is always bizarre. And truly, it's supposed to be bizarre because Christianity is not designed around paid professionalism. It's designed around the every person. Christianity is designed to primarily be done by volunteers, that we would all have normal day jobs, that we would all be able to be on the PTA, that we would all be able to be leading our kids' soccer teams. Christianity is designed on average, ordinary folks being filled by the extraordinary Holy Spirit, locked and loaded with power and authority in Jesus Christ, going out and changing the world. Please don't ever fall into the misunderstanding that you're gonna leave it to the paid professionals to do the ministry. Oh, that would be a terrible idea. Why? There's not enough of us to get anything done of value. We are the minority, we're a very tiny part. The whole point of a paid staff on a church is to equip the body of Christ to do what they do. Our job is to facilitate and get you at maximum maturity to go do what you do. We can't get to enough people. We can't do enough ministry. We can't counsel enough. We can't pray enough. We can't do any of that stuff. We're too tiny. It is the body ministering to the world. That's how Christianity was designed. If you fall into that, there is a temptation to have a perspective of being a spectator and a consumer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm going to come to church, right? Oh, I contribute to that thing. They're the ones that do the ministry. Yeah, I'm going to leave it to Pastor Lance. He'll get it done. Oh, I'm going to leave it to Pastor Brian. He'll get it done. I'm going to leave it to Pastor Dylan. He's going to get it done. No, we're not. That's not what it was for. You can't leave it to us. We're not good enough. We need you. You're the ones doing the ministry. And this whole idea that we're going to come in and like spectate, right? Well, I'm going to come in, get a little something for me, and I'm going to go back home. That's not how it works. You always think about, man, I'm going to go to church. You are the church. You understand what I'm talking about? This is not an activity that we just go to. This is you. This is your identity. You are a walking, breathing temple of God. That's amazing. You guys remember Jesus told this parable in Matthew 25 of the parable of the talents. You guys remember this story? Pretty famous. If you're new, let me tell you. So Jesus says to his followers, he's like, he's like, hey guys, imagine this, imagine. 
There's this wealthy dude, right? And he, and he has all this cash and he's gonna go away on a trip. And so he brings three of his servants, three of his managers, and he's like, guys, I'm gonna be gone. I need you to watch over my stuff and I need you to advance the ball while I'm gone. I need you to advance the business. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of money. I need you to put it into play. And they're like, okay, what do you, what do you wanna do? And he said, all right, I'm gonna give you five. I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna give you one. You guys remember how this goes? Well, he's gone for a long time. When he comes back, the guy with five said, I made five more. And he's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, that was awesome. The guy with two, he's like, I made two more. Notice the master never expected the guy with two to make five. Our job is not to compare with each other. I didn't do as much as this other person. You be you, right? That's all that he's looking for. But then the one... That guy is like, yeah, I buried it. Here's your thing back. And he's like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, okay, here's the deal. I was a little freaked out, to be honest with you. I didn't quite know. Like, what if I lose it? What if I do it wrong? And then you're gonna be all mad at me. And then, and also, does it really matter? I mean, there's a reason you gave me one. They gave you that guy two and that guy five. So obviously they're better at it than I am. Does it really matter what I do? Boy, that master was angry. You wicked servant. How dare you? Do you really think this is about you? You wouldn't even do the minimal? Put it in the bank and I get interest off of it? It was not that hard. This is not rocket science. What did I ask you to do? I asked you to use what I gave you for my benefit. Why couldn't you do that? That's your job. That's why you're here. And there was discipline. Does that make sense? Now, quick question for you. Is that story about money? No. It's about what? Your gifts, talents, and abilities, and resources that God's given you. Are you putting them into play? Because here's what stands out to me about that story the most. The one that had won made a conscious determination not to do anything with it. And here's what I'm asking you. Are you that one? Are you the person that's going, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to do what, what Pastor Lance does. Well, I'm never going to be able to, it doesn't really matter. And what if I go out there and I try something and I fail that I don't, I don't want to blow it. Listen, I don't care what your motivation is for hiding your gifting and not doing it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You're wrong. You need by the command of your king to use what he gave you. Well, I don't have much. Then great, you don't gotta do much. (laughs) But you gotta do something. You gotta be you. You gotta be engaged. It's the whole reason why you're here. God isn't just babysitting. He's partnering with, right? So we should be a part of doing things with him. We cannot intentionally say, oh, it probably doesn't matter what I do. I'm telling you right now, the Bible says it does. What you do absolutely matters. Here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Church is participation, not mere observation. Church is participation, not mere observation. Now imagine this, imagine that we all did use our gifts. Let's say everybody began to realize, oh man, I think I can administrate, I think I can teach, I think I can, I can probably you know, pray for healing, and I, wow, I think I have access to miracles. Imagine everyone was doing their gifting. A couple things strike me. Number one, I 
dream about this all the time as a pastor. I dream about the idea that if Jesus can change the world with 11 or 12 apostles, what can he do with thousands? I mean, I always dream, why in the world is this region around us not reached for Jesus Christ when we have thousands of gifted, lit up Christians? How's that possible? If we're all really doing our job, shouldn't there be a bigger impact? I dream about that all the time, all the time, all the time. And I'm wondering, maybe, maybe my miracle's in your pocket. Maybe you're the, you don't even know you have the gift of healing. Maybe I'm the one suffering and I don't need to be suffering because you'd be praying for me, right? I mean, I think about all that. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking if we all did use our gifts, man, it would be like herding cats, right? Like everybody's at church going, I wanna talk, I wanna talk, I wanna talk, right? Do we let anyone just come up here and lead? No, we don't. I actually have a really powerful teaching team. Do they get as many reps in here as they probably want? No, why? I'm in the way. <laughs> right? But we have a lot of opportunities, but we also have things during the midweek and all this stuff Imagine everybody was like, well, I got something to share. I got something to share. I got something to share. It would be like chaos and we would have to put some order to it. And that is what Paul the apostle walked into with the Corinthian church. Boy, they knew their gifts. They were lit up with the Holy Spirit, man. They had all kinds of stuff going on. They were excited and ready to fire and they're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying and they're all talking over each other. And he walked in, he's like, man, you guys are a mess. What the heck? Nobody even knows what's going on right now. This is so weird. Guys, order, order, order. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? He wanted order, but here's what he did not need. Calm. Some of us think order and calm are the same thing. They are not. What do I mean? There are some of y'all in your personality, you are flat out mellow, right? I clearly do not have that gift. I'm a bit of a spaz. But there are some of you, right? You, like when everyone else is like, woo, praising the Lord, right? You're just like, woo. That like little, you know, the rest of us are flailing and you're, you're just carrying the baby, carrying the baby. Keep it low, watermelon right now, right? Right, you can't get too excited. And so unfortunately, when you hear things like order, you think mellow and subdued. Understand, there are some times that the Holy Spirit's gonna be rolling and it needs to have passion and fire. You understand what I'm talking about? That doesn't mean it's disorderly, it just means it's loud. There are some cultures on this planet that loud is the norm, yeah? Can I hear it with the Italians, amen, <laughs> right? And there's some cultures that are super quiet and subdued. Here's what he's calling for, order, not just calm. Our worship prayer and healing night on Sunday was loud and there was so much happening and it was beautifully orchestrated. We had prayer teams and everybody knew where they were supposed to be and how it was supposed to go and everybody got prayed for one by one and it was all beautifully organized but it was not boring, right? Orderly doesn't need to mean boring. You can get into an environment and it is just crazy rocking with God. That doesn't automatically mean that it's disorder. It just means that it's loud. I don't think we want a boring environment. We just want a useful environment. Amen? Amen. All right, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. Grab that one. Turn to page 960. 960. 
960. The rest of you turn to 1 Corinthians 14.26. 14.26. I'm reading out of the ESV, and let's take a look at what God has for us. Here's what Paul says. He says, what then, brothers and sisters, when you come together for church, every one of you has either a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but let all things be done for building up. What did he just say? Let's pause right there. What did he just say? Everybody's got something. Every time we come together, everybody's got something. I mean, you may, got, you may have had a smile. You may have had a prayer. You may have had an encouragement. You may have had the ability to bless somebody else. You may have had some type of devotional. You may have been able to share your voice along with our collective worship and praise out loud. Everybody's got something. What do you got? That's the whole point. Every time you get together, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? How are you using what God built in you to bless everybody else? Because everybody matters. And then he gives this list of examples. A hymn, a revelation, a tongue, right? Those are simply samples. But notice they tend to fall into two categories. Either somebody is saying something about the Lord or they're doing something from the Lord. What's the point? It's always about the Lord. Church is not a country club. It is not about you making connections. It is not about you advancing your Rolodex. For the younger people, a Rolodex was something that we used to use before we had phones to remember everyone's number. Okay, praise the Lord. Now, it is all about the Lord, right? You're, you're, you're doing something on the Lord's behalf or you're getting something from the Lord or you're directing to the Lord because everything about church is about King Jesus. You understand what I'm talking about? Here at Bridgeway, no matter what we're gonna be talking about, it's all gonna center right back down onto a relationship with God. It's always gonna center back on, do you love him more? Do you love him more? Do you love him more? That's what we do here. When you love him more, he transforms you. That's why the phrase transformation is used in everything that we do right? But here's the thing. When we talk about everybody doing something, everybody serving, this is where some people go, pastor, ah, I'm kind of new to this whole thing. You know, man, I've only been a believer like one, two years. Like, I don't even understand what, I don't think I should really be involved in serving and leadership. Okay, hold up. Just think about this for a moment. When Jesus left this planet, he left it to a group of people that none of them had been a Christian longer than three years. How do we know that? because he only had a three-year ministry, and then he checked out. So that means Peter and all the apostles had only been Christians for three years, and he left the entire ministry to them. What's the point? The point is, sometimes we grow up by doing. There's others of us that are like, well, you know, my life's not really dialed in, man. I got, I got financial issues. I got, like, relational issues. Hold on. If you wait to serve for your life to be dialed in, you ain't ever gonna serve. Because the minute you get dialed, something's gonna wreck your dial. You understand what I mean? Like, like the minute you think everything is in alignment, something else is gonna happen. Why? We're in a broken world around broken people. You cannot wait to be perfect to serve. Here's the deal. You do not need a theological degree to love on babies. But you do need to be nice. If you're not nice to babies, I'll wreck you, <laughs> right? You want to see my defensive nature come out, right? But here's the thing. You don't have to have a perfect home life to be a greeter. 
You don't have to have everything right and organized and systematically done and buttoned up in order to be part of our creative arts team. All we have here is broken people that serve an extraordinary God. That's it. It's the only kind of people we work with here, right? Sometimes it's in our brokenness and serving we find our healing and our wholeness. Sometimes while you're serving, you find a friend that understands you and you begin to get healthy. I'm just telling you, we can't wait to be perfect to serve because that day is never going to come. We just got to use what we have. All right, now he's going to use an example and talk about, guys, what would it look like to be a little bit more organized in the Corinthian church, even in that weird supernatural stuff? Pick it up in verse 27. He said, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, then let somebody interpret. But if there's no one left to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Okay, let's pause. I talked about speaking in tongues last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to that message. But here it is in the gist of it. The Holy Spirit does some downloads to allow people to speak in a language they do not know. You're like, that's freaky. Totally agree with you. It is very freaky. When you are using it in a group setting and you believe that the Holy Spirit has given you something and it's in that other language and you tell all of us, stop, I have something. And then you go blah, 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 blah and you do whatever you're gonna do. We would love to say amen, but we have no idea what you just said. So if there's no one to interpret that says, oh, by the way, she just said glory to God and then we're all like, ooh, amen, that was power. Good job, yeah, 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 right? If there's nobody to do that, then you just kind of hang out with you and Jesus alone, right? It means you keep praising, you keep praying in tongues, but it's now between you and God. You don't need to stop all of us while you hang out with Jesus. Does that make sense? That's all he's saying. There's an order to it. Man, if you need all of us to hear it, cool, but we really need to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, it's very hard for us to understand. Okay, that's what we talked about last time. All right, let's move forward. Verse 29. Oh, and in that group, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, meaning they get a prophecy, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy just one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Prophecy is a supernatural download from God that you communicate out. It's a message from the Holy Spirit. Does that stuff really happen? It totally does. Now, sometimes it's a little bit more formalized, right? Let's say uh, everything that I'm doing on the weekends, right? I grab the word of God. I then process it with the Lord. I pray about it. And as I'm sharing it out with you, I'm making this come alive and I'm adding commentary that I feel like the Lord has helped me to discern. And I'm sharing with you prophetically what God wants to say. Right? I mean, that's awesome. Now, we're used to that because it's a little bit more formalized. But make no mistake, it's supernatural. But God also does random hits. Every single believer that has the Holy Spirit, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't 
call yourself a believer, right? Because every believer has a Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, he can do some random hits, right? And it could be something as loose as you're hanging out with somebody and he just speaks, gives you an idea, and you're like, wow, I'm brilliant. No, you're not. That was the Holy Spirit, right? Or it could be that you're praying over somebody and you just happen to know how to pray and they're crying, oh, that was such a blessing. That wasn't you. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through you. That's prophetic. You're like, no, that's normal. Okay, it's only normal because you've been doing it so long, right? It's weird. It's supernatural. But sometimes it kind of takes on a new little tone, right? Imagine this. You're praying over somebody, right? Let's say they're 26, 27 years old. And all of a sudden as you're praying, you're like, whoa, 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 this is interesting. Hey, you mind if I share something with you that maybe I feel like the Lord's kind of relaying to me and they're like, hmm, okay, I guess. You're like, as I was praying about you, I just began to sense like there was a time in your life, I'm gonna go maybe back four years old and it was really dark really dark. I'm talking about you felt really alone. You felt really vulnerable. And I, you cried out to God and said, God, I need you to protect me. Do you remember that? And they're like, yeah, how do you know that? That's weird. You're like, I agree. However, in that dark time, you were calling out to the Lord and you said, would you please protect me? I just want you to know that not only did God see you then, but even when you haven't prayed that prayer ever since, he's been guarding you and watching you and loving you and strengthening you. And you're like, ah, you're crying, right? How do you know that? Well, they don't know that. God knows that. That is prophetic. You're like, that doesn't really happen, does it? Yes, it really does, right? Now, well, this is where some of us are trying to scan in our minds, okay, in the Bible, in the Bible, where is this in the Bible? And you immediately jump to the Old Testament, right? Because in the Old Testament, we have whole books named after prophets, right? I mean, we know that Moses was a prophet, but really when we think about prophet, we're thinking about Elijah and Elisha, but then the guys who have books named out, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, these are the guys, and we're like, oh, they're all weird, which I don't know if they were all weird, but they had kind of strange things happen to them. But these guys were in the office of a prophet. It meant they were the point people that God was using to speak to Israel. And they were like the one-stop shop. They were the walking, living Bible. And you were like, wow, do people still have that office today? Oh, we'll talk about it. But when you look at that, you then go, wait, I read this. In Deuteronomy 13, it says that if there's a false prophet, if somebody is wrong, they get stoned to death. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to have rocks thrown at me. I'm not doing this prophecy thing. What are you talking about? Okay, hold up. That's old covenant, old Israel, old way of doing things. It's not like that anymore. You're like, well, you can't just make up new stuff. No, 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 no. There's actually a very practical reason why it is not like that anymore. And here's why. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and died on the cross for our sins, he says that he takes you from death 
to life, that all things have become new, that you become connected to the creator like never before. He creates a freedom and a forgiveness and a grace, and he creates an atmosphere in your spirit that allows for the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell. He makes you available to be a location for the Holy Spirit to come in and walk with you everywhere you go. The reason why that's such a big deal is it says in Hebrews 8 and 1 John chapter 1 that now we no longer need an outside person to tell us about God like a one-time prophet guy. Now God is talking from the inside in all believers. Oh, wow. Now everybody has the same thing that the prophets had in the Old Testament. Because think about it this way, it's a much better system. If, let's say Isaiah lived during your lifetime, but he lived 100 miles away. You would feel like God isn't talking because you can't meet him, you've never seen him, you can't hear any of his messages, there's no such thing as mass media. So you don't even know what he's saying. Now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit goes worldwide. And he's talking from the inside all the time. Our problem shifts from not can I hear God to how do I discern the messages of God? Does that make sense? No longer is it, God, you're silent. It's now, oh my goodness, was that my voice? Was that the enemy? Was that the Lord? I can't seem to figure out how to hear God right. That's our new problem. So the whole thing shifted over. The reason why it was so extreme in the Old Testament is as I said, they were a walking Bible. There was no Bible to match up against them. The stakes were too high. If Jeremiah says something, thus saith the Lord, and you don't do it, you're going to get condemned. Man, it was a brutal, serious situation. God cannot just have people going, no, I'm a prophet, no, I'm a prophet, and they start making stuff up. He's like, nope. They are writing scripture right here, right now. I'm not playing with that. You see somebody doing stuff bogus, you get rid of them right now. But in the New Testament, now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit goes direct with everybody, and we are all in the process of discerning. That's the new era, the post-Pentecost, the post-Jesus era, and how prophecy works today. I'm gonna give you three main reasons for prophecy today. Would you just write these down if you're a note taker? Three main purposes of modern day prophecy. Number one is the one you'd expect, and that is revelation. That's the supernatural part of it. Revelation, the Holy Spirit is sharing more about what Christ wants to say. It's like our own personal tutor to understand how God's word applies to us. I'm gonna read a passage to you. And I just want you, wherever you're at on the spectrum of, I totally understand prophecy, I don't think it's legit, wherever you're at, I'm going to read a passage, and I need you to tell me practically how it's going to happen. Okay? Here we go. John 16, 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, my followers, but you cannot bear them now. When the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All right, how's he gonna do that? Once again, wherever you stand on the supernatural, how's he gonna do that? Because what's the point? The Bible is inerrant, it is not exhaustive. Jesus has a lot of stuff to say. How exactly is he gonna get that to you? Because Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, so who's doing the communicating now? Holy Spirit. How's he gonna get that message to you? How are you gonna know how this applies to you? Because whatever your answer is to that, it's called prophecy. It means that the Holy Spirit is still communicating to you. Sometimes it's you actually reading the word of God and him making it come alive to you. But sometimes it's stuff that's not even in here, right? Now, important disclaimer, personal prophecy, the I got a word from the Lord, is not on the same par as scripture. We need to be real clear on that. You don't get to come in and go, I got a revelation, I got an idea, and it says, right, you don't get to do that. You're not on the same level as scripture, and you're like, wait, 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 hold on, pastor, hold on, let's talk about it technically. Holy Spirit inspired this, Holy Spirit inspired this. Is it not the same source? Here's my response. Absolutely, it's the same source. My problem is not the source, my problem is the editing process. Holy Spirit was so heavy and hardcore on the people that wrote scripture that he was, he was in control of every element. And it was such heavy accountability to make sure that they wrote exactly what they needed to write through their personalities, but he navigated every single stroke of the pen. Then he validates it then he monitors the transmission process so it gets to us. All of that is so heavily locked down by the Holy Spirit, you probably wouldn't want to be a walking Bible. What he does now is much more relational. What it means is, is that we're still hearing from the Holy Spirit, but it will never contradict this. This is your anchor. This is always what we match it against. If anything you get a word on goes against this, it's out, right? So we can always stay safe. The other thing is you realize he's talking to you and you're kind of a broken vessel, right? So he may be talking clear, but you're like, mm, we're breaking up, I'm going through a tunnel, you know, that kind of thing, right? You can't really hear him all the time. Now, this is where some of our personalities are like, man, the whole idea of getting a word from the Lord wrong, and what if I say something wrong? I just don't want to do it. It's not worth it. Not only in 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is very clear. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Do not forbid tongues. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. What does that mean? You gotta let some of the mess happen, but I need you to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, when you eat the fish, man, there's gonna be a little bit of bones in there. You're like, well, I don't wanna eat the fish if it has bones. All fish have bones. <laughs> eat the fish, spit out the bones. Well, that sounds heavy. It is. Eat the fish and spit out the bones. 
Now, there's some of you that are very comfortable with this whole process, and you actually have delivered words from the Lord. I have a couple things that I want to encourage you about and kind of put some parameters on you, because you're the kind of person that you feel like, man, I'm hearing from the Lord. I love to share this. Okay, do not take that lightly. People are not your guinea pig. People are not just to play around with. The only reason why I'm able to be up here and preach and teach is because we have ways to double check what I say. We have accountability. We have structure. We have all of that. We don't just allow anyone to pop off and talk. We have accountability. I need you to have accountability. You don't just wander around and go, I don't know, maybe, maybe, and you just kind of throw it. Now, is there a learning process to it? Yes. Is it okay to get some stuff wrong? Yes. But if your heart is light of going, nah, it doesn't matter, it does matter. Remember, any ministry that you do for the Lord matters. So we take it very seriously. And here's another thing, and this is for our culture, right? I just, I, I just don't want to hear this at Bridgeway. Do not use the phrase, God told me. Because what it automatically does is it pits the person against God. Let's say you mess up one piece of it. You're like, well, they knew what I meant. No, you just said the phrase, God told me. If God told you, God doesn't mess up anything. Does that make sense? So you're putting bad stuff on his reputation. Knock it off. Here's what you should say. I feel like the Lord might be saying totally different ballgame. Because what you just did is you shifted into saying, God is speaking through a human vessel. I need you to weigh this. I don't know if I got it legit completely or not, but I'm putting it out before you. Test it. If it doesn't resonate with your spirit, get rid of it. That is a very gentle way of sharing something, and that allows that person to be able to say, yeah, that didn't land, right? Okay, second reason why modern-day prophecy is around. Write this down, to build up the church. That's the practical side of things. We edify, exhort, console, comfort, encourage, and strengthen. The majority of any word you're ever going to get from the Lord is going to be to build somebody else up. If that's not coming through you, you might want to just remain quiet. Okay? Well, I got a word. Somebody thinks you're ugly. That's, that's not from the Lord. Number three, write this down, connection with God. Connection with God, that's a relational aspect. When God speaks to us and through us, it allows us to experience his presence in a very special way. As I told you before, everything is gonna go back to relationship with God. What's the point of tongues? Relationship with God. What's the point of prophecy? Relationship with God. What's the point in healing? Relationship with God. Guess what's gonna be the answer to every single question? Relationship with God. It's what we do. And too often, some of us have kept God at such arm's length, we don't have a deep relationship. But when he's moving through you, it feels like he's right there. And that's beautiful. All right, let's say somebody comes to you and they do say they have a word for you. What do you do? Number one, you don't freak out. Okay, hey, can I share a word with you? No, you're a psycho. And you're like, okay, calm down. When they want to share a word with you, you just say, all right, what do you got? Because here's the deal. There's a whole bunch of safeguards. You don't have to be afraid. 
Because what the Bible says is they're going to be sharing stuff, and we then weigh and analyze and test what they say. And if it's not legit, you shake it off. Oh, yeah, but God said, hold on, no, 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 no. That person said, okay, let's just examine it. It could be from the Lord. And even if, so we're examining not just the content, but we're kind of examining the delivery. Because sometimes God has a legit word for you, but it kind of came through in a really weird way, right? When someone gets done sharing something with you, your job is to go back and say, Lord, was any of that legit? Like, <laughs> and if the Lord's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. You're like, all right, shake it off, right? Get moving on. We're all right. But if there was something that he was going, you know what? This piece was really from me. I've been trying to get your attention. That's a way that we get to grow with one another. I think it's beautiful, okay? The last thing on that piece is the office of prophet is very different than a one-stop hit, right? So every Christian can get words from the Lord, but if you do it consistently, you would probably be considered the office of a prophet. Now, this is where we kind of go, wait, there's not really still office of prophets, are there? Like, ew, that would be weird. Like, you guys are all used to seeing around here, we all have lanyards, Brian Kiley, pastor. And you're like, normal, right? Then all of a sudden you walk over and it's Bob, prophet. They're like, mmm, sketchy. I don't think you're really a prophet, Bob. Because we've had kind of a weird reputation, right? Because we've had all kinds of stuff, like people will forward you a prophecy online. I got a prophecy for you. You got to check it out. You got to check it out. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. If you forward me a prophecy from online, I am not going to listen to it. Why? Because they're creepy. <laughs> they may be totally legit. I'm not listening. Why? Because the medium is really weird. Almost always it comes with like a picture of the prophet and they're like <laughs> staring. And you're like, what are you looking at? Is there something on the ceiling? Right? And then all of a sudden they'll do this kind of thing. And you're like, well, are you trying to be weird? What is wrong with you? Okay, because here's the thing. Very early in the church, the office of prophet got kind of shunned. Um, we have a early document from the early Christian church called the Didache. The Didache was written approximately 100 AD. If Jesus died at 32 AD, we are under 70 years from when Jesus walked the planet. That's a very early document. It's super short. In there, they talk about prophets. And this is what they say. If the prophet asks you for money, he's bogus. If the prophet wants to hang out at your house longer than three days, he's bogus. And you're like, wow, you guys are really angry at prophets, right? Because here's why. It very quickly can get distorted. So they were like, ah, oh, you guys are killing me. Knock it off. The problem with that is that the office of preacher teacher and so many of the other gifts had training and accountability and strengthening and healthiness but prophet went quiet. Now, the only ones that have popped up over the time tend to be the ones a little more extreme. And when you have no accountability, when you have nobody to support you, when you have no church covering, when you have no way to hone your gifts, sometimes you end up in the weeds. Then every prophecy is end times. There's a blood moon coming. You're like, okay, yeah, there was a blood moon last time too, right? September's gonna be the worst month of all time. Then it goes by, they're like, I meant November. You're like, the fact that you use that voice is weird, I think, personally. So 
what I think we should have done and we need to continue to do is provide the proper support so that prophecy can be what God intended in a healthy, appropriate way. That's what we want to pursue here at Bridgeway, right? Okay, um, and here's the other thing. He said, when it's your turn, when, it, when you're done, you're going to share a prophecy. Somebody else has one, let them do their thing. You don't need to filibuster. You don't need to take up all the attention, right? A real quick show of hands. How many of you were the kids in school that raised your hand for every answer? Do I got any of these in here? Yeah, <laughs> right? You had no problem raising your hand. Look at that. That was awesome. You guys are so, it's like instinct, reflex, ah, me. Okay, I was totally that kid, right? Uh, does anybody know? You're like, I didn't even ask the question yet, right? And what was interesting is why I did that, I, I'm not, I don't fully know. It could have been insecurity, it could have been pride, it could have been a bunch of different things. But what I thought I was doing it for is because as a child, I assumed that the teacher was looking for the right answer. And I was like, oh, we're all trying to get to a point. I can get us there. I have the answer. It was not until I matured, I realized the teacher already knew the answer. <laughs> and that getting the right answer was not the point. The point was actually letting everyone discover and learn. And I realized I kept stepping on everybody's toes. How many of you are those people in every conversation. Oh, we're we talking about politics? Let me tell you what's going on. <laughs> I know this. I know it. I know everything, actually. Just ask me. Okay, every time he gets into a theological debate, you know what I'm saying is that the Bible absolutely says this. Okay, you're just stepping on everyone. Dude, sometimes just getting the right answer is not the point. Sometimes everyone discovering is the point. Stop stepping on everybody, right? And I'm preaching to me. I'm still struggling with that at my age, right? All right, here we go. Next passage, right? You're like, oh my gosh, we're still going. It only gets worse. Here we go. <laughs> Verse 33, you ready? As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, they are not permitted to speak. They should be in submission, as the law says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Let's pray. <laughs> We're just closing the service right here, you guys. It's, uh, God bless you all. Have a good day. Side note. If the man next to you has this underline in his Bible, just slap him right across the face. He has no reason to be underlining that passage. Okay. All right. So we have talked uh, a significant amount in this church about women in leadership. And we've analyzed backwards and forward in all the scripture. There are three primary scriptures that are brought up in this issue. This one here in chapter 14, the one in chapter 11 about head coverings, and then 2 Timothy. That is the major one. So we've done a lot of analysis and we've explained to you biblically why we feel not only okay with, but empowered to involve women elders and women preachers from the stage. We, we believe in all of that. This one passage right here in verse 14, in passage 14, it's a mess. And it is not the one we need to be analyzing. The other two are great to analyze. This one is no bueno. And I'm going to tell you why. Because 
In the Greek, most scholars don't believe it's Paul. And here's why. The Greek's totally different. As a matter of fact, in ancient manuscripts, it's moved around. Sometimes it's at the end of the passage. Sometimes it's up in the middle. Why are you moving it around? What they believe is it was likely a copyist put it in the margin and it got moved back into scripture. That's happened a couple different times in different passages. You have to do some analysis to examine it. But here's the thing. There's a number of reasons that are a problem with it that make it not very legit. And here's why. One of the first reasons. He said, women have to be silent as the law says. The law does not say that anywhere. So first of all, it's hearkening back to something that's not even scriptural. The, the second problem with it, what is the solution for women to learn? They should go see their what? Husbands. What if they're single? What if they're widows? What if their husband's a non-believer? Are you all tracking with me? Something's not right about the solution. It can't be women in church have to be quiet and go talk to their husbands when not all women had husbands that could teach them. Actually, the solution doesn't even match. So you go, wait, wait, wait. So obviously he's not just talking about women. Is he talking about something going on between husbands and wives? Well, that would make a lot more sense because it's settled at home. Is that possibly the scenario where there was some uh, abuse going on in the church where once again, violating roles at home in the church and Paul was saying, no, we're not doing that, whatever. It's never okay to disrupt the church. It's never okay to demean somebody else. It's never, I don't care if you're husband and wife or not, right? That could be what it means. But the main reason why this is a troubling passage is because it directly contradicts chapter 11. Paul just said a whole long part, when women prophesy out loud in church, they should have a head covering. If they're not supposed to talk out loud in church, why did you just give us a whole passage that said they should talk out loud in church? Does that make sense? something's not right about this passage. It doesn't biblically make sense, and it contradicts what Paul already said multiple times. Something's weird about it, okay? So if you want to know the other ones, the other ones are great to study, and we have all kinds of literature on that. You can just go to bridgeway.church forward slash women in ministry or W-I-M, and you can find it there much quicker. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Verse 36. This is where Paul is going to correct the Corinthian leaders. Some of them have been challenging him, saying he's not a legit apostle. They were saying, I don't want you as our pastor. They're saying, I was super spiritual, and I don't need to listen to you anymore. And he comes at them hot. Here's what he says. Oh, was it from you that the word of God came? Did you plant this church? No. Are you the only ones that is reached? No. If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. What was his point? Guys, I don't care how spiritual you are. You do not get to shut me down. God told me to tell you. Wow, that was aggressive. Then he wraps up his practicality in verse 39. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy. Why? Because it's connective and it's awesome. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because it's connective and awesome. 
but all things should be done decently and in order. Why? So it remains a blessing and doesn't turn into a curse. Yeah? All right. God did something mighty last Sunday night. He began a good work, and we're going to pray that he would continue it. There are some of you that still long for a touch from God. There are some of you that had a healing begin, and you would sure love for it to progress a lot faster than it's progressing right now. There are some of you that still have broken hearts, scared minds, depressed thoughts. So we're going to close out and just pray for a fresh touch from the Lord. Amen? Let's do that. And then we're going to have the prayer team. Can I have the prayer team make sure that when we get done, you stand up here. Once again, if you need prayer, our prayer team will be up here for you. All right? Let's do that. Holy Spirit, we are wholly dependent on you. Until you say it's true, it's not true. I just pray, God, that you would finish that beautiful work that you did. God, some of us, we didn't even get anything started last Sunday. We didn't even get to show up. God, I just pray that for all those that are here eager for a touch from you, desperate for a healing from you, longing for you to minister to their heart, I just pray, God, that you would do it. That everyone that can hear my voice right now, Lord, would have a blessing. That you would come through and say, kiddo, I see you. I know what's going on and we're gonna be okay. God, would you give us a comfort and a peace? With any struggles that we have to hang on to, I just pray that you would walk with us hand in hand. For any that we can release, any that can just be knocked out, in Jesus' name, we pray for that. So in the name of Jesus, we pray healing over the bodies here. We pray healing over our minds and our spirits and our souls. In the name of Jesus, we bless all those that are struggling with anxiety and depression. In the name of Jesus, we pray for healing of all sorts of mental illness. In the name of Jesus, we pray that there would be a restoration of marriages and relationships. That God, that there would be a restoration of our past hurts and our past pain. Lord, would you just allow us to know your love like never before, and that in and of itself would transform our hearts. We praise you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.